Let us pray. Father God, as we come to your word that will be proclaimed to us, quiet our minds and hearts so that we will truly hear the words prepared by Julia. Bless her with clarity of thought and speech so that we will go out from here knowing better your command to each of us and to our church to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, be present with us now. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Today's message, sorry. <clears throat> Today's message is from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. Um, so if you would please follow along or just listen as I read. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Have you ever had an experience where you got involved in something and expected certain results? But as time passes, you begin to slowly realize that things are definitely not going the way you thought they would or should. I think it is safe to say that the disciples, as portrayed in the Gospel of Mark, may have felt this way as well. Throughout Mark, unlike the other Gospels, time and time again, the disciples failed to understand Jesus' message. They spent so much time with him, 
breaking bread with him, listening to his teachings, and witnessing with their own eyes his miraculous actions. And yet, they continually struggled to truly understand who and what they were called to as disciples of Jesus. There is a disconnect between their expectations of being called by Jesus and what Jesus was actually going to do. A few verses prior in verse 29, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And while they understood that Jesus was the Messiah, they did not understand what Jesus as Messiah meant and entailed. The term Messiah means anointed one. Customarily, the Israelites consecrated their priests and kings by anointing them with oil. Some examples of this would be Aaron, Saul, and David. This anointing with oil signified being set apart by God and being bestowed with his power for a special purpose, for a special service. During the prophetic period, the Israelites were promised a redeemer from the house of David who would deliver, restore, and reestablish themselves. This promise can be seen in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 to 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. In the time of the second temple, the hope for a Messiah was very strong. The Israelites were looking for a political and military Messiah, one who would deliver them from Roman occupation and oppression and bring them to victory. Jesus, who lived in this time, did not fit this description of the promised Messiah. However, the disciples who followed him had this same exact expectation of him. They had high hopes for Jesus, for what he would do. They saw him perform miracles, experienced his charismatic personality, and saw the huge crowds that would follow after him. So how could they not expect a change in their fortunes? How could they not get their hopes up? And because the disciples saw Jesus as the traditional Messiah that the Israelites were waiting for, they were preoccupied with things that were inconsequential to Jesus, but at the forefront of their own minds. The disciples were thinking about things like power, authority, status, and so on. They were not thinking about how Jesus had been called to suffer for them, for mankind. In fact, we see Peter rebuke Jesus 
were speaking about how the Son of Man was going to suffer many things and die and rise. They just didn't understand. It was not in their vision for Jesus to have to suffer in such a way. And if we look to Mark 9, we find that Jesus once again predicted his death. And once again, the disciples failed to understand. And instead of pondering what Jesus meant, the disciples fought over who was the greatest amongst themselves. It was as Peter rebuked, it was as Jesus rebuked Peter and the disciples, saying, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So then, why did Jesus call the disciples? If it was not as what the disciples had expected, what was Jesus' intentions? If we look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Jesus called the disciples first that they might be by his side to be his companions. Second, that they might be sent out to preach the word to others. And third, to have the authority to speak boldly in driving out demons. Nowhere do we find it that Jesus called his disciples so that they might be placed in positions of worldly power, status, and authority. There is no suggestion of reigning over a worldly kingdom. After Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. For not only are the disciples questioning Jesus, but they are suggesting that he abandon the salvation of mankind. And this is just like when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, hoping to lead him astray and to have him give up his mission. But very clearly, Jesus said to his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And Jesus doesn't only say this once. He says it three times. For the second time, in Mark 9, verses 30 to 32, Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise again. And for the third time, in Mark 10, verses 32 to 34, Jesus says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Each prediction is more detailed than the last, 
clearly painting the picture of Jesus' suffering. It's not simply being rejected by the people around him. Jesus would be physically tortured and would be mocked as he died. Jesus spoke very plainly of his rejection and of his suffering. He did not speak in a parable, a hyperbole, or in metaphorical language. He was very open and clear in telling his disciples what it meant to be the Messiah. He must suffer, die, and rise again. There is no alternative to the suffering servant. He must. This suffering work of Jesus for our own salvation is foretold in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6, where it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus himself clearly says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples can choose Jesus, or they can choose the world, but they cannot choose to follow both. And as the disciples were followers of Jesus, the implication was that they too would face suffering and rejection from those of the world. After hearing what Jesus had to say about having to suffer and not quite picking up on the implication that they too would face suffering and rejection, the disciples, specifically Peter, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? And while, is, is, and while it is easy for us to question how Peter was able to do such a thing and shake our heads and click our tongues at his foolishness, there is no denying that at times we too are like him. And if we are very honest with ourselves, we at some point, may have disagreed with Jesus as well, questioning why he does not do what we think he should or what we expect him to. If he can make the paralytic walk, why are so many still struggling and crippled by fear, pain, or illness? If he can calm the storm of the sea, surely can calm the many storms we weather in our world, be it war, poverty, and much more. If he can heal and cleanse the sick, 
Why can he not do that for those we love? These are just some of our own rebukes of Jesus. And so, perhaps, we are not so different from Peter, for at times the words and actions of Jesus shock and challenge us. Just like the disciples, we all have our own images and wishes about who Jesus is and what he should do. We have our own self-interests, our humanly concerns. Everything is good and well when Jesus casts out demons, heals the sick, raises the dead, feeds the many, and so on. However, just as Jesus made clear to his disciples, it is also made clear to us that Jesus does not and will not conform to our images and wishes of who we want him to be. Instead, just like he asked of his disciples, Jesus asks us to conform ourselves to who he truly is, to the Messiah who must undergo suffering, pain, rejection, death, and resurrection. We can either choose ourselves and reject Jesus and his salvation, or we can deny ourselves and, take, and choose Jesus and be saved. As Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. By this, I don't think that Jesus meant going out of our way to deny ourselves, but to do so naturally in our own lives, in our everyday lives. For example, denying ourselves might look like spending our time, resources, and energy on helping those in need. It might mean choosing to continue to follow Jesus even at the expense of facing rejection and isolation from family and friends. And for more extreme cases, it might mean facing physical harm and even death. The common factor is not focusing inward, but focusing outward on other people to witness God's overflowing love and mercy. When Jesus first came across his disciples and told them, follow me and I will have you become fishers of people. Suffering, death, rejection, pain, those things were likely not on their minds. By our human nature, we want to be prosperous and successful. We want to do well in life. And we want those we love to also do well. We can be selfish and self-interested. However, Jesus has different priorities. He has the concerns of God in mind. And although his ways are not our ways, he invites us into fellowship with him, to follow him and his ways. The way of Jesus continually reminds us that our life is not our own. It belongs to God, 
and God is in control. And we continually die and rise with Jesus. As long as we believe that we control our lives and that it is about ourselves, we will continue to control our circumstances to try to save ourselves and to maybe even rebuke Jesus. As it is written in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Jesus chose to give, to love, to heal, and to give life. In all that he did, he denied himself, trusting in his Father's goodness, love, and mercy. To follow Jesus, to be his disciple, is no easy task. Choosing to follow Jesus means denying ourselves, to be in the world, but not of it. It means to let Jesus rule over our every thought and action. We are to come before him in body, mind, and spirit. And yes, we will suffer just as Jesus suffered, for he is the suffering Messiah who has suffered for us. However, we cannot forget that there is hope. For although Jesus predicted his suffering and death, he also spoke of his resurrection. We follow Jesus because he is worth it. For as it is written in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-9, to 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls.